for the past uh, several days, the National Post has been running a series of articles uh, questioning multiculturalism in this country. This is not. Uh, this did not sort of jump out of nowhere. This concern of theirs, although it's not been reflected necessarily in all the other Canadian papers, but there have been stories since the arrest of the alleged homegrown terrorists, as they're being called in Toronto. There have been uh, uh, there's been lots said and and much less done about uh, this issue. Um, some some spokespeople or or putative spokespeople for the Muslim community have demanded that the government. This was quite interesting. I thought Karakan was one of them, and then one of the other Muslim groups demanded that the government uh, provide funding for studies as to uh, what had gone wrong, if anything. Um, within their communities to uh, it, it became very confusing at the, on the one hand we had many representatives of the Muslim community uh, incredible voices too my friend Faisal Joseph one of them saying listen we know there's a few wackos out there and we're you know we want to get rid of them as much as the next guy but it's kind of our problem and we're working on it uh, with the help of uh, CSIS and so on and, and Faisal was the first place I heard that the cops originally got on to these guys in Toronto because uh, the, the folks at one of the mosques contacted the uh, the Mounties and said we've got some guys here you need to keep an eye on um, so on the one hand you have sort of that take on it and on the other hand you have people saying well it's you know it's kind of it's the government's fault give us more money anyway that's that's the same old song and dance but that has led, I think, in a lot of newspapers, not just the Post, to questions about how could this happen here? Or this, this, you know, the great absorptive model of, of of the Canadian society, where we absorb you within the society, but we don't uh, uh, we don't we don't strip you of your of your of your uh, originality of the differences. We celebrate the differences. Well, a lot of people are looking at that and saying maybe we haven't been just as effective at that as we might have been. The Post series of articles has been quite interesting. They've had a number of different voices have talked about it, people from various ethnic communities and the regular Post writers as well. And it has called, uh, I think, uh, to the or should have called to the front of the public mind. I'm not sure that it has. This entire issue of multiculturalism in this Canada, in this country, we have a different view of it than many other countries do. It is largely the brainchild of Pierre Trudeau although not entirely, but largely, and certainly promulgated by him. And the idea was, and I think you look, you say, well, can we not have a society in which people, people's backgrounds, their ethnicities, their traditions are honored, uh, and yet they also become part of a broader community here in Canada? Unlike the traditional view of the United States, although I'm not sure how accurate this view has been in the last 30 or 40 or 50 years, but the view where you come in and you left all your baggage at the door. You never did leave your baggage at the door, but by the second generation, third generation, you were an American and the rest of it was, oh, that was all old, foggy old country stuff. Um, and, 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 the, and their government actively encouraged that mindset. Our government has not done that for many years. Our government's idea is, no, no, celebrate your, your origins, celebrate the old country, do all that's good, and of course be a good Canadian at the same time. So I thought today with uh, Bob and, and Jeff in the studio, it might be a good time to take a look at this issue from their perspectives, because I know from uh, talking with them over the years that, uh, at least I'm guessing, they they probably don't have the same perspective on this. Jeff, I'd like to begin with you by asking you, um, 
whether you agree with the theory behind this. Is this a is it a workable theory? I'm not going to ask you whether it's working in Canada. I'll get to that. But is it a workable theory? The idea that we can bring people from many different cultures and sort of put them all in the same not in the same pot, but put them in the same neighborhood and expect them to to get along. Is is it a workable theory? Well, it, it uh, seems to be a workable theory, and uh, certainly we've been doing it now for a couple of centuries. And uh, I look at Canada and think, you know, it's among the the uh, most peaceful countries in the world. And it's always amazed me how we take in refugees from countries where they have had uh, horrible uh, rivalries and hatreds going back generations. Nobody can remember where they started. And yet they come to Canada and you don't hear about the things continuing on in any uh, in any uh, kind of obvious way, I guess. Uh, they fight it out on the soccer pitch and so on. But uh, the violence that we hear about in Canada is rarely, from my perspective, based on uh, a country of origin or race. It's more based on the standard things, which are people rob each other to get money. Uh, so it seems to have worked quite well so far. Um, and I guess the other part of it is, from my perspective, for what it's worth, uh, the alternative of saying, you know, you have to leave your religion at the door, you have to leave your language at the door, your history, and so on, I just don't see how that's going to improve my life personally. Uh, and I think that there's a, an overtone in the idea that there shouldn't be multiculturalism is that historically our culture was largely British. Uh, you know, we still have the Queen on our money and so on. Uh, technically, I suppose she's still our sovereign. And what I would certainly want to hear is that if somebody says we need to get rid of multiculturalism, the first to go ought to be the Queen uh, and work our way from there. But if somebody says, no, no, we keep the Queen, we keep the British tradition, but all the other traditions have to go, then I'd be concerned about that. Um, I just love the fact that in the United States where uh, George Bush recently was commenting on this um, Spanish uh, national anthem that uh, some prominent Spanish artists recorded, and George said, I don't like that idea. People shouldn't be singing the national anthem in languages other than American. Uh, as he said, all Americans should have to talk good English. And uh, like, Well, I'm so glad I'm Canadian. <laughs> Bob, uh, in theory, again, is, the, is it a workable theory? Uh, I'm not sure what the theory is. Um, I think Pierre Trudeau was trying to basically, uh, how would I put it, um, dilute the English component of English-speaking Canada with his immigration laws as they were constructed, because Quebec didn't have the liberal immigration laws that the rest of the country did, and still does not to this very day. And, uh, you know, part of um, multiculturalism is the whole French-English issue. We have to deal with, um, you know, English and French on everything on our packaged products and things, which, by the way, drives me nuts. Uh, you know, if we really wanted to be bilingual, everybody in English-speaking Canada should have French-only labels, and everybody in French-speaking Canada should have English-only labels. <laughs> and that's the only way you're going to spread the language. Yeah. Seriously. You heard I'm it not. here first. Well, well, it's immersion, yeah. It's I, an interesting <laughs> idea. I've been looking at labels lately and read, noticing I don't read instructions to things anymore, even from shampoo to fuses. I, I, I'm not using them right, right? Because there's too much information on the package. It's half English, it's half French. There's information about health concerns and co contents that I know nothing about anyway. You know, so it, it, it's 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 a way of trying to. Th whenever you do cultural anything, or religious anything through government, you've got trouble, because government is a gun, okay? And that's the whole point. Um, I would not get rid of the British influence. The British influence, as Jeff speaks, that to me is Western culture. That's the only culture that accepts multiculturalism. That's the only culture based on the idea of individual rights, not group rights. Multiculturalism is based on group rights, not individual rights. And if you're saying that I have to accept that as a value to live in a multicultural society where somebody's telling me, no, you don't have rights as an individual, you only have rights as members of X group, 
I'm sorry, <laughs> that person's a threat to my life. I cannot live with that person. He has to accept individual rights as the basis of a civilized society or you can't act civilized. But I guess all we're doing is saying we're not going to butt in. So the question, like people may differ about should we spend a lot of money promoting multi- multiculturalism, for instance, and may say, you know, should we be spending millions and millions of dollars on cultural festivals and all that stuff? Or should we say, listen, if you guys want to go off and raise some money and have a, uh, a Dutch-Canadian hall, good on you. If you want to have fundraisers to, to buy tulips, good on you. As long as it doesn't bother me and doesn't cost me anything, then what do I care? But the, you know, the... Sounds the, good to me. <laughs> you, alluded, you alluded earlier, Jeff, to the fact that we have a long history of of uh, people getting along once they get here. We don't see Turks and Armenians uh, uh, continuing the, the rather violent struggle that they have in other parts of the world. Yeah. We don't see the Turks and the Greeks. We don't, And you can go down a long list. I'm not trying to pick on the Turks here. But you can go down a long list of very serious uh, struggles in other parts of the world where there are significant communities like that here. Now, they may not like each other much. They might not have much to do with each other, at least initially here in this country but they're not killing each other. And I think you're quite right about that. But I, I would question you on this. The, the, the very stability that you're talking about was established at a time when the government didn't provide extensive support for the uh, ethnification of new Canadians, for, for promoting and prolonging their, their ethnic distinctions. It was a time when, and in this very area you can see it, there are Dutch clubs, German clubs, Polish clubs, Belgian clubs. There are all kinds of, of buildings and organizations in this part of the country where these people all move to Italian clubs. I mean, you, you name it, there's one here somewhere. Uh, most of these clubs were built with no uh, help from any government, any level of government at all. They were built by the members of those communities who wanted to have a place to get together and celebrate their culture and so on. Is, is it possible, do you think, that that was a... Well, no, let me rephrase that. How do you compare the success, the obvious success of that to our system today where we see lots of ethnic organizations, including many of those, being funded, directly funded by the government, given money to celebrate their cultures. Yeah, and that's another issue. Uh, you know, it's one thing, as I say, to say that you're going to uh, leave people alone and they can do what they want as far as their language and their religion. It's another thing to say, I'm going to take tax dollars from everybody to promote that. And, and you're right. I think that, for instance, uh, the, the um, prevalence of interpreters is much broader than it would have been back in those days, at least government-funded ones. Uh, so it's easier, I suppose, for a person to live in Canada now and never learn English. Uh, you know, it's probably easier to, to stay uh, in within a fairly insular community. Now, having said that, I think that the uh, the perception that we have of, of um, groups from different countries is probably as true now as it was then, and that there are communities of expatriates from whatever country who will tend to uh, support each other, work together, help each other out. They support their particular churches or mosques or, or synagogues, whatever it is. Those things haven't changed so much, uh, and I don't know how different it would be, for instance, if you were an immigrant coming in the 50s from somewhere uh, there would have been a social organization from that country that would have helped you probably so I don't know how different it is now if instead of that help coming from that community it comes from a government agency um, but broadly speaking again I, I was very impressed for instance during the uh, the war in uh, Bosnia uh, that we would occasionally have people coming into my office uh, and we would go to get an interpreter but we had to be very careful to make sure that they weren't from the guys the other guys were fighting against uh, something that just hadn't occurred to us and yet these guys were all refugees coming to London, and I never heard of an incident of, of one going after the other. Um, the thing about the Muslims right now that, that concerns me is that it's, we really are not smart if we lump them all together. 
them being any group. So if you say all Muslims are the same, if it's a Muslim problem, the Muslims need to fix it. That's just not realistic. Mus- the Muslim community does not have police. It does not have uh, courts. It's part of Canada. And if there are Muslims who have information that they can work with the police towards providing to get rid of people who are bad people, as seems to have happened in this case, that's something that's good. That's not to say, you guys should go fix the problem. It's, you guys are us, and thank God you're doing what you can to help fix the problem. So uh, the, the, the big specter in all of these cases, I guess, is, okay, 17 Muslims get arrested, therefore we have to do something about the Muslims. Well, that would just be very unintelligent as far as a way of resolving the problem with those nut bars. And I was reading a week or two ago, it was the anniversary of the death of Thomas Darcy McGee, mm-hmm. you know, who was the only Canadian politician to be assassinated, who was assassinated by Fenians, I believe, yes. as an Irish fellow back yep. in the 1880s, uh, you know. The Irish seemed to have worked out okay, but in those days they were busy invading us all the time. Every time you turn around, they were coming across the border from the states. Um, but it seems to have worked itself out. Uh, Bob, I wanted to maybe change, unless you've got something specific well, to say about that. I want to ask I, you another question. I think there's a there's a, there's an underlying question there. Yeah, the nut bars are out there, but you have to ask yourself why do they come so statistically and predominantly from certain groups? And I think it's because whenever you have a culture that's based on concepts of self-sacrifice and self-immolation or even the immolation of others, you've got a problem right there, even if it's just in a voluntary, mystical kind of sense. Uh, the mind has been prepared for that kind of activity because going the one step further from total sac- self-sacrifice for other people on Earth, I guess, I don't know who you're sacrificing mm-hmm. to, uh, to giving your life for something, you know, for some belief, is not a big leap. And I think it's very dangerous in that sense. Um, and that's why you find, you know, even among Christians, you know, you're, if, if you really meet somebody that talks to God, what does the average person react to? You know, the guy belongs in a rubber room, right? Mm-hmm. Even though the society we live in purports to be Christian and believes in these things. Um, but to speak to the larger issue of race and culture, you know, my parents raised me to be, quote, colorblind. And foolishly, I, I took it to heart. <laughs> Why foolishly? Because Canada of today does not allow you to be colorblind. Oh, man, if you treat everyone as an equal, you are a racist today. And that's, that's a problem with guys like Elijah Elif, who I defended, mm-hmm. you know, before a human rights tribunal, uh, because of the colorblindness. No, you have to be very sensitive to everybody's creed and culture and beliefs, and you have to understand them and all of this nonsense, right? Uh, that's not what being colorblind and being tolerant and accepting of other people is about, is to have to know every little nuance about their beliefs. I don't go around telling people anything they want. They don't want to know about me, <laughs> you know? Having said that, I, I would hope that myself, as a, somebody who considers themselves to have good manners, that I don't knowingly go out to offend people, no, no, whether I know it or not, not know it. No, no. So I'd like to know, okay, it turns out that direct eye contact with this culture is a big insult. Let me know, because I don't want to insult you. I have no well, reason to want to do that. seems weird, but I can go with that. I've got know, lots of weird customs doing. in my society. I've never figured out the necktie and why the heck we wear those darn things. <laughs> <You> know, <every laughs> why other, is that a sign of respect? <laughs> every other country in the world practices the principle, uh, when in Rome, do as the Romans, except Western countries. They practice, you know. But isn't that perhaps part of the strength of what you, you alluded earlier to, the success of Western culture? Well, Maybe that's part of the success. No, the reason the Romans, the Romans had multiculturalism, by the way. Mm-hmm probably in the greatest way that anyone could say historically since mm-hmm. since the west yes. because of yeah. because of the fact that rome was the first structure to realize that civilization was not based on status or on creed or on color um, 
as I've always been reminded, you know, a, a, a Greek or a North African could become a Roman, but a Roman could not become a Greek yes. the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody could become a Roman, just yeah. like anybody can become an American. But there was a that, but that there there was a, a a country, if you will, that had a structure before it had a culture, and I think that although people argue that, but I think that's why that worked largely. They had a governmental structure long before, at least far in advance of a, of an institutional culture, and they were able to absorb cultures from the other places they went, the people they defeated, the people they met on the field of battle. And you're quite right. Well, the, the, exactly. the, you know, Roman citizens came from literally the entire Roman world. Right. And, and I think that is still the structure of Western culture today. Um, e- even the Catholic Church, although it purports to be Christian, is really Roman. But it's the, difference, Roman Catholic, the difference between, obviously a lot of differences between America today and Rome then was, as multicultural as they were, they did not abide people chipping away at the foundations of their state. You had all sorts of freedom to practice your religion, to practice your ethnic... Until, uh, until the until, fall of Rome. Well, when, well, when Rome no, 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 I'm saying uh, until you said anything bad about Rome. And at that point, all your freedom stopped, and all your freedom of religion and everything stopped. That's the difference in America. You can come to America or come to Canada and stand on a street corner or go on television or write books and denounce the government and denounce all the things you think are wrong about it, and this is what you need to fix and fix the country so it suits me better. You could not do that in Rome. No, Rome but, but we all can, though. Like, I can do that, having been born and raised. So what? Like, well, that's, that's something that I think we're proud of. No, I'm just, I'm just saying, but that's, no, I you're think right. that's a, one of the great differences yes. they are. Bob compared Rome the two of them in terms of multicultural. Individual yes, rights. I'm not suggesting that. No. In fact, there was slavery in Rome. There were there were all sorts of other structures we would think totally in you know contrary to individual rights. But Rome discovered structure. That period. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And that alone allowed for other cultures to flourish. But it's striking uh, to me how how a lot of the immigrants who I meet are fairly, I would say, right wing in the sense that they are people who do support those structures that uh, I think that it, uh, Stephen Harper discovered in the last election that there are a lot of people who have come from other countries who are not lefty, uh, kind of give us money types. They're entrepreneurs, yeah. which is what we sought out. And I think that was a real revelation in Canadian politics. We have to stop for a moment or two. We'll be back left, right and center with Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer right after this. It's Schlemmer and Metz, Chapman here. Is this working? Yes, it is. Okay, fine. Um, I want to. I want to go back to something that happened in 1956. My memory's a little rusty. Wasn't well, me. I'll well, tell you that. Okay, <laughs> and, uh, and, but, but just I want to. I want to make this point because this is something that has perplexed me in terms of our our more recent attitudes towards immigrants. In 1956, the Hungarians rose in rebellion against their government, and the, the rebellion was crushed by the Russians, by the Soviets. Um, a great many Hungarians fled uh, Hungary, and and a large number of them, I don't know how many, but a significant number of them came to Canada. Um, the school that I attended, which was Prince Charles out in the East End in those days, had quite an influx of Hungarian kids. I couldn't tell you how many, but lots of Hungarian kids. Those kids came into the classrooms, sat in the classrooms, um, the teachers taught their lessons. The teachers, I assume, probably spent a little extra time with those kids, but I don't know that. There was no English as a second language. There was no stay after school and polish your English skills. There was none of that. There was no uh, special makeup tests, not that I'm aware of. The kids came in, sat in the classroom, learned to speak English, learned the information, maybe dropped back a grade or two from where they were. I'm not just too sure how that worked. But a year later, you couldn't tell those kids from the rest of us. 
today that would never happen. Were we to have an influx, and we, we have had influxes of refugees, there's all kinds of special government programs for them, there's special funding for them, there's uh, uh, there are probably ethnic clubs waiting for them with money in hand to buy them this and buy them that. And I'm sure the Hungarian community in, in London probably did help many of them as well in those days. And yet it seems to be anytime there's a new group of immigrants these days, the government has to, 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 to bend every effort to make this work. It seems like it's a huge deal to get these people integrated. And we have to get the ESL classes set up, and we have to do this, and we have to do that, and we have to do something as else. If, as if every last one of them was a refugee. Well, I, I guess in a sense, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yet I think back to that experience when, to the best of my knowledge, and I've done a little research on this, the government really didn't do a whole lot other than open the doors and expedite their arrival here. Is this is has this made a positive difference in the fabric of our country that we have become so much more attuned to the uh, to the needs of these people and yet we hear stories of people who are here now for years and even the young people don't speak English very well and in spite of ESL I think it's been terribly damaging. Um, the example you picked of Hungary hits home. My parents were both from Hungary, although they came here a couple of years before '56. And they spoke Hungarian in the home, and believe it or not, I could never pick up on that language. All I can say in Hungarian is nem tudom, which means I don't know. <laughs> and, and, uh, but they also spoke German, and, and a dialect of, of German and Hungarian, which I, was the only language I could speak till I was six years old. <laughs> and um, so my father started a business here. He learned English. He, uh, he was the welder who put up the Channel 10 Tower here in <laughs> town. Um, so he worked with a machine shop, and after a while, their first thing, my mom and dad, they had to learn English. That was a big thing. And the syntax of Hungarian is very, very different mm-hmm. from most European languages. I think virtually all. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's an anomaly. Thankfully, they were of German extract, so they had the German background, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, that's like ours, English yeah. and French. So, uh, But that's very true. Um, and I guess it comes down to uh, the immigrants of past of past assimilated my father was still very cultural he would pay to bring hungarians over to uh, a dance hall here in in canada and have an annual event and get people all around but there's about 700 people here in london from their community alone mm-hmm. and um so it's a that one strikes home so you, you have a situation where you get a community that yeah they can still have the hungarian hall there's one out in niles town i think and uh you know preserve the culture, but also be assimilated into the laws and the, and, and the matrix of, of the nation. Whereas today, I think, because of the way we approach it, uh, the people coming here tend to be more segregated and remain so, and therefore feel outside the mainstream. We're going to pause just for a second, come back and continue this most interesting discussion. Hope you're enjoying it, too. It's the Jim Chapman News Hour on 94.9 CHRW. Bob Metz, Jeff Schlemmer with us today on the program on Left, Right, and Center as they are every Wednesday. I, I hate to say this, and it amazes me that this happens, but we're, we're rapidly running out of time here. Uh, if either one of you, and I'm going to ask you both the same question, I'm going to cut you off at about the two-minute mark. If you could do anything to change our, our current system relative to multiculturalism slash immigration, and I'm not going to add the refugees into that because I think that's a different issue, but immigration and multiculturalism, uh, is there anything pro or con, good or bad, that you would change? And Jeff, I'll ask you first. 
Well, Canada is a country of immigrants. Uh, most of us uh, can trace our history back to somebody who immigrated into Canada. And uh, I think that by and large, it's worked out pretty well. Uh, I'm pleased right now that Canada seems to be allowing a lot more immigrants than the United States is, for example. And every time I think about the words on the Statue of Liberty, give me your tired, your weary, your uh, oppressed, and so on. And huddle and, the masses. And, uh, that's right. Yearning, the irony of that. Yearning to live free. We seem to be given, taking a lot more of it than they are. And uh, I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm also aware that Canada is quite selective in its immigration, that we cherry-pick uh, the best and brightest from around the world. Whether that's good for the places they're leaving or not, it is clearly good for Canada. Uh, and uh, we've done very well as a result of it. So I think that it, that it is a good idea. The example of trying to take away a culture uh, was tried with the First Nations, uh, you know, from 1900 onwards, where uh, children were stuck in residential schools. They were banned from speaking their language, from practicing their religion, and they resulted in a totally dysfunctional society, uh, unnecessarily, I would argue. Um, Peter Burton talked uh, briefly about how much better Toronto is than it was 30 years ago because of the multiculturalism. He said, just look at restaurants alone, and it tells you everything you need to know about what's good about multiculturalism, and I'm proud of that. Bob? Um, I would not approach the issue from a cultural, racial, um, what was the other issue you had there, immigration point of view. I would just approach it from a freedom point of view. If you have low taxes or almost no taxes, if you have very few social programs except for those in demonstrable real need, and if you have a, a, a marketplace where everybody's treated justly, the same under the law, regardless of their color, regardless of their creed, and not given special status, uh, you will find that all those issues that we think are such big issues today will go away. Is that simple? It's that simple. All right. Well, I get to say something here, too, because I have an opinion about this. My biggest concern is the dependence um, that is created on government when government opens the coffers to to ethnic groups, to immigrants, to whomever, uh, to people who've been here for generations. Uh, I'm very concerned about that. I think that is one of the fundamental uh, challenges facing us in this next country is this culture of entitlement. And I think we do ourselves a great disservice by bringing people into our country or allowing people to come into our country and and almost forcing them to become part of that culture. What, what's, what's, what is Canadian culture? It's the culture of entitlement. I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to that. I'm entitled to something else. And it worries me greatly that we have people coming here with fresh ideas, fresh perspectives, looking to build new lives, and almost the first thing they run into, uh, albeit I'm not sure that it's planned this way or that they recognize it this way, but almost the first thing they run into is some government official somewhere with a check in his hand for them. Don't forget, though, that's our culture of entitlement, that they want to come up here and share. Don't blame the immigrant for that. No, I'm not not (laughs) blaming them at all. I thought it was only businessmen who were entitled to things. (laughs) I'm saying that I think it, 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 it creates an atmosphere and an expectation that, that I don't think ultimately is, is as positive for our country. And I like what Jeff said right at the beginning, at how well multiculturalism has worked in this country. I'm not so sure that it's working that well or has worked that well in the last 10 or 15 years. Even though the the number of cultures has proliferated, the number of restaurants has proliferated, and I'm with Pierre on that one. That To me, that's one of the big pluses of multiculturalism. But I'm, I'm worried that uh, our ability to indulge our palates may, becoming, or may come to us at a, at a price that ultimately we are not going to want to pay. Music is playing in the background. Thanks to uh, Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Remind you, folks, we will be back tomorrow. That's Thursday on the program. And I think 
think Chris Seinel is dropping by again. Chris was in last week and uh, enjoyed having him here. I believe he's going to drop by tomorrow. We'll have another discussion about something that's going on in the world. And Friday, of course, is Contact Friday. So get those, keep those emails coming. We get a ton of them. Respond to all of them. And we pick a few to share with you each and every Friday. Plus, Friday is our trivia show as well. So there are lots of good reasons to stay tuned right here over the next few days, not the least of which is the great variety of music you hear on 94.9 CHRW as well. In the meantime, for Jeff and Bob and Jen and everybody here at CHRW, it's Jim saying, please take care of each other, mind how you go, and God bless. Bye-bye. Have a great day.